Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll have Lex Friedman from Macworld Magazine, where he's going to talk about customer support experiences on the iPhone, Android OS, and BlackBerry, and lots more than Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, the main topic about all those patent lawsuits in tech land, especially involving Apple, Google, Microsoft, and more, on the Tech Night Owl Live. Lex Friedman from Macworld Magazine is joining us, and it's kind of interesting to look at the history of Apple's iOS. Before there was an app store, Apple would say, well, if you want to build an app for the iPhone, here's what you do. You make a web-based app. And of course, now we have a completely different universe, something like 425 or 450,000 of those applications carefully evaluated, curated in Apple's walled garden. But as you've been saying, Lex, there is now a growing group of web apps. Is that a way to bypass Apple? I mean, I think that's a piece of it, yes. We're certainly seeing, you know, four years after Steve Jobs first told developers, if you want to develop for the iPhone, you know, build a web app. Now we're finally seeing people build really impressive, you know, very app-like web app experiences. You know, the most prominent example, I think, was Amazon's new Kindle Cloud Reader, which is optimized for the iPad beautifully. And you can use it instead of or in addition to the Kindle app on your iPad. And it's, you know, it creates a very app-like experience. You can still tell the whole time you're not using an app, that you're, you're using something that's, you know, a little bit different from a traditional native app. But, uh, I mean, yeah, for sure. The, to me, the, the best part of Amazon's new Kindle app is this, uh, it's built-in Kindle store. Ebook apps aren't allowed to link to their stores anymore if they want to live in Apple's app store. The Kindle shopping experience in Amazon's new web app is excellent. And they can't, they're, they're exactly prohibited from doing just that if they want to have an app in the App Store. Certainly a big piece of it is avoiding Apple's rules in the App Store. I would wager that part of it is also just not having to have a gatekeeper anymore. So even if even if Amazon didn't put this very cool-looking store into their cloud app, they still now, by virtue of creating the new web app, have an app that they can update whenever they feel like it, just like they can update their website whenever they feel like it, without waiting for uh, Apple to approve any changes that they've made. Okay, does that mean that a new class of web-based apps may soon appear and be downloadable or accessible from your iPhone and your iPad, but they're still somehow optimized for those platforms? I can think of at least three pretty prominent ones right now. In addition to Amazon, you get Voodoo, which is a video streaming service that just launched an iPad interface of its own. And there's the Financial Times, which has a a very cleverly designed iPad interface. Of those three, Kindle and, and Financial Times both still have apps in the App Store. So they haven't left the App Store. They've just said, we're giving ourselves this other option over here on the web. Voodoo Voodoo doesn't have an app. You know, the only way to use Voodoo on your iPad is through their new iPad web app. I think we're going to see more of this. Quite frankly, I think Apple doesn't care. I think Apple's going to be totally fine with it. Most of the time right now, people are used to going to the app store if they want to find new apps. So if you want to have the, you know, the biggest place for distribution and the biggest place with Mindshare, you have to be in the app store. Every single iPhone and every single iPad ships with a giant app store icon on the main home screen. And there's, you know, like you said, almost half a million apps in there. 
Amazon is big enough that they can say, look, we have this new web app and a lot of people are going to write about it and a lot of people are going to discover it. Not everybody can do that just yet. It's going to be a lot harder for, you know, the next Angry Birds style upstart to say, I'm going to come up with a web app that's going to recreate enough, cue closely enough to the native app experience, and then I'm going to be able to somehow publicize it outside of the app store without any of Apple's help. It's going to be a pretty big challenge, I think, for, for that to really take off, to, to match in any way the, the size and scope of the, the actual app store. So it's just a second chance. It's a second channel, and it's right. a clever one, and it, it makes sense for folks like Amazon to do their best to find a way to get to customers that where they don't have to follow Apple's rules. And the thing is, I don't think Apple minds. Apple has long maintained anytime they reject an app from the App Store for content, you know, if they think that it's duplicative or if they think that it's you know content that they find or deem inappropriate, they say, well, you can always make a web app. And people have generally historically poo-pooed that, saying, no, we can't really make a decent web app. You guys are mean and you should let us in. But now they can say, look, giant companies like the Financial Times and Amazon are, are, and Playboy are creating web-based apps that very closely emulate the native iPad experience. So clearly we've been right this whole time. Oh, okay. So now Apple still has the same concern, which is they're selling iPhones. They're selling iPads. However they do it is fine. Exactly. And I mean, honestly, look at it this way. Apple is not just brilliant at design and building cool stuff and making the iPad. Apple's very good at business, too. If Apple decides that they're missing out on too much revenue because people are abandoning the app store in favor of the web uh, web apps, they'll just change their policies. They'll say, you know what? Whatever rules that we had that we're keeping out of the app store, we're going we're gonna to eliminate those again. I don't you think see, that's ever the problem that. with the critics. They don't understand that Apple can change something. If it doesn't work, they change it. If the policy needs refinement, they refine it. Exactly. And Apple has, I mean, historically shown that they're willing to change their policies, and they've done so both for better and for worse. In fact, I would venture that the number one reason Amazon felt motivated to build and launch this iPad-optimized web app was some of the trouble that Amazon specifically has been having with Apple's you know, recent policy changes regarding the App Store. Originally, Apple said a couple months ago when they launched in-app subscriptions, I guess it was February 2011, Apple said, as part of this new in-app purchasing and in-app subscription service that we're going to offer, we're going to require that any app that has in-app purchases has to make those purchases available through our system. That would mean for Amazon, they had to get just under a million books into Apple's system to sell those books through Apple. That's impossible for a couple reasons. One, it's t technically Apple doesn't allow you to upload that many books or that many purchases. And two, Apple's existing tools don't support any kind of API or anything. So somebody would have to sit at Amazon and hit the button, you know, a million times to put each book in, even if it were possible. And then well, I can see that Apple... <laughs> has this policy and Amazon hires a million monkeys from the movie Planet of the Apes. Right. I could see it now. They could use Mechanical Turk to do it, but it's, um, it was impossible. And then they also wanted Amazon to give them a 30% cut of every book they sold, which would eliminate any profit Amazon can try to milk out of ebooks anyway. So Apple eventually, around June of this year, Apple said, you know what, We're, we take it back. We're not going to make you have all those purchases. But if you do allow purchases for digital content that don't go through our system, you can't link anywhere from your app to the store where you sell them. So just uh, last month in July, every single ebook maker that's on the app store had to eliminate its links to the store. So the Kindle app doesn't link to the Kindle store and Google Books doesn't link to the Google Book store. And it's true across the board. Apple changed its decision. First, it was too strict for Amazon to survive. Then they said, you know what? This is too strict even for Apple to keep. So we're going to loosen things up, but we're still going to make you get rid of your link back to your store. This is one case where I think Apple is overreaching. Is it within Apple's right to overreach? Sure. But I think that to say you can't have a link to the 
store is petty because it makes the experience worse for all those apps customers. Now, Apple might say, well, uh, if your experience is worse, why don't you join us in the lovely world of iBooks? I don't think it's a move that Apple had to make to stay competitive, and I, I think it mostly results in confused customers. A question about how the iBook store and even Amazon is set up for their ebook store. Do you have to be a big publisher to get on there or can an individual who publishes their own book just upload the file and there you go? It is possible for anyone to get books into any of those services. Amazon has a, a self-publishing tool for ebooks and it's a little bit trickier with iBooks but it can still be done. If you've got your book published the right way, you submit it, it goes through an approval process of its own and then but Apple will take it if it doesn't, you know, violate any of their rules. So it's like you have your basic book in a PDF format, you'd have to enter it in their specific ebook format. Right. Apple uses EPUB, I believe, and you'd have to okay. get it that way. And Amazon, I think, will even accept EPUBs. But um, yeah, each one has their rules. And if you follow their rules, you can put their books. And that's how, you know, sites like Macworld and Tidbits get all their books into both of those stores. Oh, okay. So like, for example, we're seeing now that products like Adobe InDesign can save in like an EPUB format. Right. And in fact, even pages can Apple's own word processor. But uh, it's it's possible for anybody now to get a book into the store the same way that anybody who's willing to pony up 100 bucks and learn about development. <laughs> you can, you know, build an app, but it's pretty equal opportunity. All those bookstores are happy to have any digital books in because they really don't take up any space. Such a deal. <laughs> and if you, I mean, if you're into the uh, self-publishing route, I don't know exactly what the terms are, but I know that right now, Amazon sometimes can be more lucrative to authors in terms of what revenue split they're willing to give. I think Amazon right now puts the 70-30 split on its head and gives the book author 70% of sales if you if you publish directly via to the Kindle store. And after any book author has struggled to get 10% right. royalties, you know about that. Lex Friedman from Macworld joining us more on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live. Here are two things IT professionals and their clients have in common. They want the job done right. They want it done fast. That's why I highly recommend go to Assist Express by Citrix to anyone in IT. It puts clients at ease with its simple and secure remote support and puts you in a position to do what you do best, access, diagnose, and resolve. Try Go to Assist Express free for 30 days. Visit gotoassist.com slash podcast to see how you can deliver live tech support to anyone. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Again, the Congressional Budget Office sounds the alarm, this time warns of Greek-style U.S. debt crises. You heard me right. The GAO is drawing a parallel between the U.S. economy, its debt, and the current Greek economic meltdown. With the debt-to-GDP chart climbing into unfamiliar territory, the growing budget deficit will rise to unsupportable levels. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. The Federal Debt and Risk of Financial Crises document the CBO has published is a must-read for every American, covering the risk of continued deficit spending coupled with an aging population and the rising interest rates spell economic disaster. 
It's imperative that you get a copy of this document and study it for yourself. Call me today at 800-686-2237 and I'll send you a free copy. Again, call 800-686-2237 and ask for your copy of the CBO document. Once again, you need to read this government report. Call 800-686-2237. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA. But Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night All Live, send it to News at TechNightAll.com. That's News at TechNightAll.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night All community forums at Forum.TechNightAll.com. Get in on all the action. That's Forum.TechNightAll.com. We have Lex Friedman of Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live. And we started focusing on the other way of getting an app for your iPhone or your iPad, which is a web-based app, which is kind of like going back to the beginning. Exactly. And there you go. Speaking of the App Store, a story that we've been following over the months, this company called Lotsis. Yes. It has been going after Apple and the iOS developers. Now, for those who didn't tune in to the original time this was talked about, who is Lotsis? What products do they make, if any? What patents do they own, if any? So Lotsis is a, a – all they do is hold patents and then attempt to use those for legal benefits. Uh, patent trolls. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> that was your term. Lotsis has basically alleged that a variety of iOS, Android, and Mac app developers are infringing upon its patents 
that relate to, for example, having a link to upgrade your app within your app or having a link to make other purchases or even promoting the existence of other apps within an app. They all say all of those things violate their patents. Apple unsurprisingly disagrees. Apple, in fact, has a license for Lotus's patents. And Lotus agrees that Apple is free to, to use its patents since they are licensed. Apple's take is all of our iOS app developers are covered by our own licensing of the patent because for a developer in an app to link back to the app store and say buy more things or to have in-app purchases, all of that requires use of Apple-hosted and Apple-provided APIs. So Apple's legal argument boiled down to a nut is basically because the, any code that does this stuff is hosted by Apple and run by Apple, the developers don't need to license the Lotus patents individually. They're covered by our own licensing. Lotus hasn't yet agreed with Apple's take on that. So right now, Apple's been fighting very hard in Texas court to be named as an additional defendant in the ongoing Lotsis case there, which Lotsis opposes. Apple says that they should be a party to the, in the defense of that case as a fellow defendant, and Lotsis says, well, we don't think they should be. And for a while, Lotsis was hemming and hawing, and they got an extra month to reply to Apple's motion to intervene in the case. But finally, Lotsis replied and said, Apple doesn't have to be in this case. Apple rejected that argument quite vehemently, and it looks to me like within the next week or two, uh, the court's going to rule in Apple's favor and say that Apple can indeed become a party in this case. Well, then, of course, with an 800-pound gorilla, the company that this week, at least for a time, became the largest company of the world by stock valuation. Hmm. Right. I mean, it's clear to me that Lotus is after money. And right now, I think Lotus is happy no matter where they get the money because that's all this is about, right? If Lotus can find a way to get developers to agree that they get – that Lotus will get, you know – 5% or 0.5% or 0.05% or whatever it is of every single app sale, that's going to be a thrill to Lotus. That's just free money for them from every single app that gets sold or the, every single app that Lotus alleges violates their patents. Let me ask you a question here. They got these patents. They're obviously legitimate because they're getting royalties or maybe nobody wants to fight them. But where do they get these patents from? If they're just getting royalties, someone somewhere created these inventions in the first place, didn't they? I don't know if I would quite agree with that entire statement, Gene. I'll tell you why. Somebody invented them, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily the person who patented them who invented them, right? If the person who patented them is the first one to tell the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office about the invention, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the ones to truly invent it. Lotsis, like most of these patent trolling companies, acquired its patents by buying them from somebody else. This, the specific patents that Lotsis leverages right now were uh, invented by a guy named Dan Abelow, he uh, he sold his patents to more than 200 companies, including Lotus. So Lotus actually originally had nothing to do with the invention, didn't work with Dan or know Dan or have any part in his process. But once he had the patents, he offered them to the highest bidder, which in this case was Lotus. So he My basically guesses, opted at that point, I'm not going to produce it myself. I'll just sell it to somebody. Whoever gives me the best deal, I'm cool with that. That's how it goes. And it's it's quite possible that he has an equity stake of some sort in Lotus. I don't okay, know. Okay, sure. But I mean, I believe that... Um, you know, I believe that Apple likely licensed the patents involved before Lotus owned them because patents like these get traded and swapped around in bulk from patent holder to patent holder. So it's possible that when Apple licensed the patent technology in question, it was from some other conglomerate that owned them before it uh, got into Lotus's hands. Ooh, <laughs> and there you go. Okay. The other issue, of course, is all these lawsuits in which Apple is involved over iOS and, as we say, the imitators out there. Mostly the Android OS phones, and Apple's had some notable victories, haven't they? 
Yeah, very recently, Apple's been successful n- not just with phones, but with um, tablets. You know, they've gotten successful. I don't know if the legal term is the same across the pond, but in Europe, they've successfully gotten injunctions against the sale of the Samsung Galaxy Tab, and they're looking to do the same thing with the Motorola Zoom. But um, yeah, there was a, a lawsuit filed in Germany that Apple's been fairly successful with uh, that's preventing the... Uh, Preventing Samsung specifically from selling their Galaxy Tab, which is a seven-inch, very iPad-esque in terms of its look and design, tablet. Isn't the 10.1 also included? Yes, I think you're right. The 10.1, that's right. Okay, that's closer in concept to, say, an iPad. But also, I was hearing this lawsuit also mentions the Motorola Zoom. Not that it's been much of a seller anyway. Right, you're exactly right. So Apple mentions in their... In its lawsuit against the, t- the Samsung Galaxy Tab, Apple says, by the way, <laughs> we're also um, filing legal action over the design of the Motorola Zoom, which is, again, another Android tablet. And um, Motorola says that Apple filed the suit in response to a claim that Motorola filed against Apple because all these companies <laughs> just kind of hate each other. So Motorola charged Apple with patent infringement, um, including design patent infringement. And um, they're going to battle out in the courts over there. I'm sure they're battling out in the courts over here, too. But um, it's, it's certainly, I mean, people have complained. People in this industry have complained about software patents and technology patents, especially ones that relate mostly to inventions for a long time. Google complained about him just a couple weeks ago with the Nortel patents, and it's um, yeah. But you know that's kind of screwy because, all right, we have these patents, six thousand patents from a bankrupt Canadian telecom company, Nortel. Now groups put out the bids. Google bid. They worked with I think Intel at one point. Apple partners with another group. They kind of stake them in the sense that the CIA staked James Bond in the movie Casino Royale, if you remember the remade version with Daniel Craig. So they stake them, (laughs) and they win. And then we learn, you know what? Google was invited to this party, according to Microsoft. They opted to go on their own. They lost. Now they're having sour grapes. That's right. Now Google is very angry that they missed out on these patents, and they say that now Google is saying that it's it's very lousy and unfair and unethical that Google and Apple and the others got a hold of all these patents. It's unfair but, now, but it wasn't Google unfair when they started to bid on it. Exactly. And Google bid, bid billions of dollars. They went up to, I think, just under $4 billion maybe, or right around there, and then the final bid ended up a little bit higher. But Google's really in an, an indefensible position as far as I can tell. But there's another statement they made which is even more peculiar, which we'll get into. If you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please write us, news at technightowl.com. That is news at technightowl.com. A special promise to you. We will read each and every message we get. And as a matter of fact, we'll try to answer most of them. We really do. That's a promise. We have Lex Friedman from Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. I've said it once, I'll say it again. You gotta back up. You gotta back up regularly. And the Carbonite Online Backup protects your pictures and your other files on your Mac or PC by automatically backing them up whenever you're online. When you have your inevitable disaster, a crash, theft, a virus on the PC side, Carbonite makes it easy to get your backed up files back with just a few clicks. With Carbonite, you neighbors can access your backed up 
up files privately from any computer or on your smartphone or iPad. Yes, your iPhone, your Android device, all with a free app. An unlimited backup program for your Mac or PC with anytime, anywhere access is only $59 a year. Start your free 15-day trial at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TPN and get two free months if you decide to buy at Carbonite.com. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. Utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty. Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. Prizekitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to prizekitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. Prizekitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. 
On the Tech Night Out Live, we continue with Lex Friedman of Macworld. I'm Gene Steinberg, and we're going to talk about another strange statement. I think it came from Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google, still, of course, uh, executive there. He was also a former member of the board of directors of Apple, and he goes after people like Apple for going in the courts and suing rather than win in the marketplace with innovative products. Uh <laughs> Just a hilarious statement. And it, I think it, it speaks volumes about why Google, even though Google clearly competes with Apple in a lot of ways, why Google was ready to distance himself from Eric Schmidt and have him step down as the day-to-day CEO. But, uh, I, I mean, I think it's very easy to explain why Eric Schmidt said what he said, namely that, you know, Apple would rather litigate than innovate. And it's because he's an insane person. I mean, his, his, his complaint is that Apple's been – Apple hasn't actually sued Google yet. It sued folks like HTC or like Motorola to say that their Android-using products uh, violate Apple's patents. They haven't In gone a sense, after the they source. are proxies for Google, but that also puts the pressure on Google. Because right. if Apple wins, as they have done, as Apple wins, if they continue to win and those – victories are sustained as they go to higher courts or whatever kind of appeals process is involved, Google suffers. That's exactly right. I mean, it's the same way that Apple has to win in that Lotus case we were talking about before. If you end up with your only kind of people who can leverage your system, whether it's Android or iOS, are afraid of the incredible legal costs and possible destruction of their business, you have no way to win. So Google has every right to be scared and defensive about the legal maneuverings Apple's been doing, even though Google itself hasn't yet been named as a defendant. But I I don't think that any sane person can look at Schmidt's comments and say that he's right on the money, because clearly there is no Android the way that Android exists today without the prior existence of iOS, where the innovation is happening is in Cupertino. Well, the other thing about, of course, Android, which is quite interesting, is the fact that there is another lawsuit Oracle against Google over Java. That's right. And I, frankly, I don't think that Google has a chance in that one either. They're, basically, that case hinges on did Google knowingly infringe or even unknowingly infringe various Java-related patents? And it, the email record that's part of this case now clearly makes the answer that yes, Google knew it was violating the patents and decided to do it anyway, come what may. They took the chance. They figured, well, maybe we did, but we're going to take a chance. That's what it sounds like. Exactly right. And it's, it's, it seems almost impossible for Google to have any victory in this case other than a settlement. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's clearly Google is, is scared about the legal assaults on Android. And I can understand the defense of saying people are attacking Android in the courts, uh, and that's not fair. They should compete with us on the innovation and technology side. But quite frankly, if, if you're in the business of doing these sorts of things, as Apple is, I think it makes sense to go both ways because I think Apple's going to win in both, in both the court of public opinion and consumership and the court of law. You either enforce those patents, enforce your intellectual property by going legal if necessary, or you lose it. That's exactly right. And I mean, the patent system is what it is. And it makes sense that Apple and other companies are going to go after patent defenses. They, they have to. Right now, that's the way the game is played. If you don't defend your patents, you lose them. If you don't file patents, you, you can get screwed out of them the other way, too. Um, unless or until the patent system changes, all these companies are going to have to play this game. And for Google to you know, bellyache in the press and on its own blog right now saying that this whole patent system is unfair and it's not cool that all these people got these, these patents is, is really silly since, as we said, 
Google wanted the patents just as much as everybody else did. Because really what happens is the companies don't say, you're violating my patents, you have to pay me. It's, I'm violating your patents and you're violating my patents, so let's make an agreement that we can both violate each other's patents and we'll be good to go. So Google knew if it got its hands on on that big, beautiful package of patents, it could say these some of these Android-related lawsuits have to stop because now we've got patents that you, Apple, or you, Microsoft, or you, whomever, are violating. Since they missed out on those, they're stuck in exactly the same place they were before. So there you go. How is this going to play out over the long haul? You know, I think it's a great question, and I'm pretty intrigued to see the answer. It would not stun me if Apple continues to have its success like it's having in Europe in terms of getting various Android-powered devices, particularly tablets, to uh, no longer be permitted to be sold. They're going to have to go for that same kill switch in the U.S. Now, I don't think, given what our you know monopoly laws are and everything else, I don't think Apple could easily say, we want to prevent Android from ever being sold here in the United States ever again, and any Android device should be disallowed. But I could see Apple getting Apple being able to profit whether the device you buy is powered by them or by Android. So right now, in the end, right now, Google, Android, they move more product than the iPhone, courtesy of the fact that you've got dozens of handsets, several manufacturers selling it. So where does this go from there? I mean, it's a pretty interesting question. What I what I imagine is going to happen is Google's going to either have to make some significant changes or some significant financial concessions to Apple. And I think Apple is just going to continue to dominate. The, the hardest part for Google and some of these other competitors who may or may not end up involved in legal complaints with Apple, you know, thinking about the Windows Phone 7 and the HP OS, I, you know, I think the, the, the biggest challenge they face is that they're always trying to emulate what Apple's done most recently. You know, they're trying to emulate the iOS 4, but and maybe now they've seen the previews of iOS 5, but Apple's not done with iOS 5. They're going to release that maybe September or so, and then they're but they're already hard at work on whatever the magical features are going to be in the iPhone 5 and iOS 6 and the iPad 3. So when you're always playing catch-up and you're playing catch-up for the iteration that they've pretty much already finished working on, it's very, very hard to remain competitive. It's kind of like Windows Phone 7. They are perennially stuck a year or two behind, and Microsoft will say, well, of course, we're going to have developments where we're going to add these features. Yeah, but they got it already. They seem to think it's like the 90s where they say, you don't have to go to these other products because we'll have that feature in the next version. So why bother to switch? Duh. <laughs> Because I want it now. You know, the, the biggest thing I've ever, I'm jealous of on the Android side of the fence is the uh, OS-wide speech transcription, where I can, instead of typing on a virtual keyboard, I can, you know, hold down a button and speak what I want, and the system can transcribe it pretty well. Now, the truth is, I know folks who use Android phones, bless their hearts, and they don't seem to take advantage of that feature very often, I think, because it's not very accurate, it's transcriptions. But if the rumors are true, and Apple has some deal or acquisition in the works with Nuance, and maybe in iOS 5, or maybe in some subsequent release, they're going to bring that transcription in. It's the kind of thing where Apple's not going to do it until they can do it in a way that they're very proud of, and that works consistently. Uh, and that's the one feature I'd really like to see happen. There's another discussion which maybe we could have. There's an article in InfoWorld suggesting that support costs for iOS devices are much less than BlackBerry and far, far less than Android, that people who use those OS have to call not just one person, sometimes talk to two or three people to get resolution. Have you heard about that? I did. I saw that report, and it's... <laughs> That's from our old friend Galen Grumman, who used to be an editor at Macworld back in the 90s. Right. In fact, we re-ran Galen's story right on Macworld because, uh, you know, we have such a loving relationship with InfoWorld. We're allowed to do that. But, um, you know, the, the study, I don't think, is all that shocking. 
it's and I think it relates to a couple different pieces. There's especially when you look at the BlackBerry and why it would be you know take more time or more money to support. Uh, it's first it's got more fiddly parts, right? Just by virtue of having the hardware keyboard that almost all Blackberries have, there's, you know, oodles more keys and stuff that can break or go wrong or get gunk stuck underneath them, where the iPhone is just that flat screen. There's fewer user breakable parts. Pretty much the only thing you can do to mess up an iPhone is to drop it. You know, if you break the screen or if you dent the the headphone jack or the volume buttons, then you'll need a repair. But you can't because of the way the iPhone OS is designed. Unless you go out of your way to jailbreak it, you can't really muck with the system on an iPhone. And you can't really muck with the hardware with the exception of breaking it by dropping it. Blackberries give you all sorts of ways to gunk up the works both on the hardware side and the software side. So to me, the, the, I don't think the study was stating the obvious, but I found its results pretty unsurprising. The more room to gunk you have, the more opportunity you have to gunk. And you can gunk more often. And Android... Having an unusual mixture of different types of keyboard options is the gunkiest of all, especially because there's no standardization. You know, a BlackBerry is a BlackBerry, and Android can be configured by, of course, the wireless provider, the manufacturer can be different. We have, we're different too. Lex Friedman from Macworld, I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in the Tech Night Owl Live. This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. Devin Fink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devin Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off, all there at devintechnologies.com. That's devintechnologies.com. Why is it so many people suffer from so many illnesses today? Why don't doctors know how to help you? Could it be that our doctors don't know how because there's a nutrition solution and they only know about drugs? Over 68 diseases are known to be connected to a deficiency of glutathione. The missing ingredient to increasing your body's production of glutathione is cysteine. Raising your glutathione production protects you from cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Nature's richest source of cysteine is unheated whey. Heating can damage much of the cysteine. One World Whey is the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. Using One World Whey may support optimal glutathione production unlike any other food or supplement you've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave... Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. 
Instead, use escapeharassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009 That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg. So we have Lex Friedman from Macworld Magazine. When we broke, we were mentioning the fact that there's more to gunk up in the Android OS and, of course, BlackBerry than the iOS. And isn't this one of the traditional advantages that Apple has had over the competition, which is the fact that a Mac tends to be easier to service? And this is true, of course, about iOS devices, not necessarily taking it apart and making the repairs, which can be rather difficult. We're talking about standard user help. That's right. I mean, it's. I think that any Mac user who knows any PC user knows that we simply live in different worlds. You know, it's same planet, different worlds, where you can use a Mac for a good long time, and it's going to pretty much be running just as well as it was when you started using it when you get to, you know, a point two years later. But almost no Windows user historically has been able to say that. You use some of these other computers that aren't built with the sort of, not just eye for user experience, but just the, the design that Apple puts into making things just work. Uh, they they miss that completely on the Windows side. And st- you know, whether it's malware or just other application crufts or things that mess around with the important behind-the-scenes parts of your system, all that stuff happens on Windows and doesn't happen on the Mac. And I think you're exactly right with that analogy. You know, the iPhone very explicitly locks out that sort of mucking about. And you, you just can't do it. Android phones, you know, you, the jailbreaking community, we should say, on the Android side of the fence is is much more vibrant, I think, than the iOS side because Android makes it a lot easier, and that's Google's choice. But that means that you know, people are getting rude access to their phones, and they're, they're intentionally playing around with how they work underneath 
the you know the underpinnings of the system and it's very difficult for iphone users to do that and ipad users to do that you just you don't see it happen that often except for via a very elite developer community and also the customers don't have as much of a reason to do it do they Exactly. I mean, there are, certainly there are people who want to jailbreak their iPhones for whatever reason. And usually it's, it's people who just fear any kind of control that any company could lord over them. But I don't feel that, you know, I, I at one point jailbroke an iPhone just to see if I could do it. But, you know, my iPhone 4 in my pocket right now is, you know, factory issued and I have never tried to do anything against Apple's policies to it. I don't feel limited in any way. I can get apps that do whatever I want them to do. I can browse the web. I can get my email. It's, I, I don't feel there are any limitations. Folks mess around with Android phones in part because they can and because Android makes it pretty doable, but in part because, as you referenced before, every Android phone and every Android OS is different. They don't all run the same versions of the operating system, and it's sometimes hard to get the updated version on your specific device, and it might look different, and the carrier or the phone manufacturer might put their own visual interface layer on top of the OS, and people who want to actually customize things to their liking or so they can match an Android OS that they like more have to jailbreak or have to muck around with that root-level access because there's no other way to do it. It's kind of like Windows. Windows offers an incredible number of user options, and people chafe at the fact that Apple makes things more limited. But you have to also realize the more options you make for mischief, the more possibilities there are for customers to get messed up. That's exactly right. And, I, you know... I think there's a contention, particularly with OS 10.7 Lion, that some of the changes Apple has made were for the point of, uh, or for the goal of making things more idiot-proof or idiot-friendly. And I think that's that's a mischaracterization. It's true that there are certain new features in Lion, you know, that make it harder to mess with files. Lion's got various features, you know, whether it's autosave or the fact that it locks files you haven't edited for a while until you edit them again, and uh, changes like that. Uh, aren't designed to make it so that nobody can mess with their computer. They're, they're designed to make it so you don't have to worry about using your computer. If I want to edit an old file in Lion, I still can. I just have to click a button when it comes up that says, yes, I'm willing to unlock this file and edit it again. If I want to manually save a file, I still can, but it's going to autosave it for me in the background if I don't. I think Apple's you know, on the right track here. They're saying that we don't have to work as hard when we have computers. It's okay for the computer to, to, to not take care of us, but to make us not have to fret about making any mistakes, especially when you watch a, an older generation who's less comfortable on computers. When they use them, they're very hesitant. They're hesitant to eject disks for fear that they might erase them. They're hesitant to, to you know, ever close a window for fear that they'll never get it back again. And Apple's goal is to help folks like that and even more, you know, professional level users understand that everything's safe. The computer's there and it's going to take care of them. And you can still do whatever it is you want to do. I can quit any apps, close any windows, save any files, whatever it is that I want to do, I can do. And Apple's basically saying with Line, and I think it's a company-wide strategy, we've got your back. You don't have to worry so much about these things because we're worrying about them for you. Let's get to this article, some of which you wrote, which appeared in Macworld magazine, about things that you'd like to change in line, and maybe we can spend a few moments exploring those possibilities and seeing where Apple either they messed up or they overlooked something or they could make things better. 
Sure. I, I will say as a 1.0 release, I think that Lion is, is very impressive. It's, I think, in my experience, relatively stable and, and very polished. But yeah, there are certainly things I'd like to see Apple attend to better. When I was first trying some of the developer previews of Lion and I was looking at this full screen mode where you can take any application you're using and make it fill up your whole screen, I saw that you know I use a dual monitor setup. I have two screens, a second screen connected to my laptop. I figured, okay, right now they're not using my second screen and full screen apps. That'll come in one of the, in the later betas before the release, but it never did. Uh, so today, if you use a two-screen setup and you try to run a full-screen app, your one screen, your main screen, will show that app, and the other screen will just show a black linen background, which is entirely useless. So I'm very optimistic and hopeful that sometime soon Apple's going to better handle multiple monitor setups with full-screen apps. I should be able to see my next screen over on my other screen instead of just seeing a useless background. I think a lot of our listeners would feel your pain here. Uh, another feature that I'm really hoping for is better handling of Apple's autocorrect. Anybody who's ever used an iPhone or an iPad or really any of these smartphones that do autocorrection as you type, uh, you recognize that sort of behavior is now emulated at the Mac OS level. So line, as you start typing, if you've got a typo, it'll autocorrect it. Or if you're mistyping some of the letters, it'll show what word you might be trying to autocomplete. And it works, I think, pretty well when it works, but it doesn't work universally. Even in some of Apple's own apps, it works or doesn't work seemingly at whim. You know, Safari supports autocorrect and iChat doesn't. Mail and text edit do, but Stickies doesn't. And I need, so right now, I don't know, if I type T-E-H instead of the, should I assume that the OS is or is not going to correct it? And right now, I guess wrong almost in every case. You know, it autocorrects my the, and I delete to correct it unnecessarily, and then I expect it's going to autocorrect me next time, and it doesn't. So getting that behavior universal, I think, would be a very nice thing for Apple to do. Okay. That's one of those features that can be good or bad, depending on the application you're using, and I kind of agree with you that sometimes this autocorrect feature can become a little bit, as they say, obnoxious. Apple provides certain system resources such as tech services that app developers can take advantage of. But some app developers, Adobe, Microsoft, they roll their own in many of these features. If they're not taking advantage of Apple services, they're not going to support these features. That's that's definitely true. And I think we're even seeing that, you know, with other line stuff like those full screen apps. Not every app offers full screen mode. And, you know... I think the pressure will be on somebody, even somebody like Microsoft with, with Word and the rest of the Office suite to say, if, if the system-wide uh, text services are there and if users are embracing them and become accustomed to them, it's not going to make sense to keep rolling your own. It doesn't necessarily make sense for Microsoft to offer its own spell check uh, with its own red squiggly underlines whenever you misspell a word if well, Apple's got do. it at the system level. Right, they, they do. do. But I, I, I wonder how long it is for the, the Mac side of this world because it's really it's just extra processor work for Word to do and maybe they can get some performance benefits by letting the, the core system handle it instead. Will it's I, also a matter of cross-platform compatibility, isn't it? I think that's a fair point. I mean, they, they've, they've already got the code in place because they use it on the Windows side. But I don't know. I, it wouldn't stun me for Microsoft to say we're going to embrace, you know, we're going to embrace iOS style autocorrection within Word using the core tech service that Apple offers. Because, I mean, the the di- the different versions of the of that suite work a little bit differently on the Mac and Windows side. I, I don't. To me, the the reason that I think it's possible that it's not just a pipe dream that Microsoft might embed some of these technologies is because it's it's less work than any other option. You know, just saying use Apple's tech services is, is, 
it's a it's a single button for them to press or a keystroke, right? And then they can turn it on app wide. It's not like they have to build anything new to support it. I think. Well, yeah, but they also have to have support for their own built-in text formatting, don't they? That's true. Isn't that an issue, a very serious issue they have to consider? Uh, certainly it is. I, you know, I think the challenge is going to be, you know, if I become accustomed to one behavior and everything works a little bit differently in Word, it's going to start to feel like it's, it's in its own little silo there. And it's going to, it's the same challenge that I think I have now just switching between Mac apps. I don't think Microsoft is, is, has to rush into it. I don't think they have to change overnight, but I think it's this behavior that, you know, or the, the various behaviors we're talking about become more finely ingrained and you just start to expect them everywhere. It's going to feel weird if Word is the one outlier. Well, I kind of think Adobe is going to be a big problem, too. I think Adobe is because of the fact that they have all these very involved, sophisticated applications that deal with text. We have Lex Friedman on the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back with Lex Friedman on the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. We are exploring the things that Apple might want to fix for OS X Leopard, maybe in the next maintenance version or the first maintenance version, which may or may not be out, you know, by the time you hear the show, because not everyone hears the show when it's first presented. Okay, so the text deal... I guess it's good or bad depending on where things go. As I said, the one configuration difficulty would be with Adobe, especially more so than Microsoft because they're engaged in such sophisticated text handling. Also, Quark with Quark Express. Same problem. They're engaged in very sophisticated text handling for professional content creators. And if suddenly they support Apple's tools, well, you know, that could also impact cross-platform compatibility. It's not like, for example, just basic text. It's a whole bunch of services in terms of the kerning of the text, which are controlled by the application, not by the operating system, things like that. Right. No, that's a very fair point. And really, the stuff that I'm looking to see Apple do universally or to see other app, third-party app developers embrace universally, I agree with you that somebody like Quark or Adobe, they've got to keep their own cross-platform support in place. And that should be paramount because I want my document to look exactly the same no matter who's opening it. But for some of the, the other behaviors, you know, whether it's full-screen support or you know, the autocorrect or just core 
OS-wide behaviors that shouldn't impact the look of the document, but rather simply my experience creating it, that's that's the ones that I, I think developers should focus on. Well, and still, it's going to take time for these things to be developed. And the thing I always worry about in terms of Lion or any of these special features like autosave is you're used to the muscle memory, okay? You're used to clicking Command S. I hope you are. You know, right. to make sure your document is saving. You know, a handful of applications such as Word, such as Quark Express, for example, have automatic saving capabilities. But to have to think each time, do I need to press this keystroke? Does it make sense? You shouldn't. You can't get out of that habit until most or all of the applications that you're using for your work support this new feature. That's very serious. That's, I mean, the nice thing is you don't have to worry about it, in my mind. Apps that do autosaving are going to do it whether you think about it or not. And if you have apps that you use that don't do it, you just – I think that you, you nailed it, Gene. It's You don't lose your, your command S twitch, right? As long as you keep that sort of tick that's been forever ingrained in your muscle memory, you're safe. Because with apps that do autosave, every time you hit command S, it does another checkpoint. So that's another revision that the OS will keep for you of that file. And for apps that you need to save in, you're just saving them. So I think you know, for, for at least for you and me and for people who have been using these computers and this OS for a long time, you're going to keep saving the way you always have. And it'll be years at the earliest until we say, you know what, we don't have to keep that Twitch anymore because all these programs are saving for us. But and Apple isn't looking at people like me and you. They're right. looking at people who need that Twitch. They don't need to convert us. We're already there. But now I think... We have the Twitch. We have that affliction. Every, I, there are many line features that are that are focused on Twitch is like that and, and that sort of experience and making it so you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not just that I don't have to save my documents in, in applications that support autosave. I don't have to worry about what's happening when I quit the application. When I reopen it, all my windows are still there. If I restart my computer, all my windows are still there. And it's, it's this experience of, you know, everything's always there and it's always waiting for you. You don't have to take care of it. And I think that, you know, that's going to be very appealing to folks who feel less comfortable with their computers than you or I might. Well, I think that's the consideration here is that Apple is looking at the fact that 50% of the people who buy a Mac at an Apple store, I don't know about the stats at other stores, are new to the platform. They're looking at those people as the future Mac user. Exactly. And if you have to look at the Mac user base today, which is estimated at, what, 54 million last I heard, and only a few years ago was less than 30 million, which means that only half of the people still using the Mac or people who have been with the platform for a while, they have to look to the future. They still have just 5% of the world market. They've got a lot of room to grow. And quite frankly, I don't think Apple has to worry about it's old Mac users, right? The folks who are used to everything now, I think it's fairly safe to say, and I apologize in advance for the cliche, but you know, once you go Mac, you don't go back. So I think you're exactly right. The, there's a much larger audience of newcomers who haven't yet used a Mac t- for Apple to target and try to make this transition and this experience easier for. And they know that the rest of us are going to figure it out because we, we, we've learned that we can trust Apple, that they're doing the right thing when it comes to the Mac because they have consistently for so many years. What other features do you think Apple can improve in Lion that maybe needs some work. My favorite new Lion feature far and away is the gestures. I, I, if I recall, you're not so much of a trackpad man, but I really have become enamored of the multi-touch gestures in Lion. And I'm I don't use a trackpad except on my notebook, on my MacBook Pro. Understood. So for my desktop Mac, I have a Logitech MX Revolution. Okay, So I don't even use the magic mouse. 
And the reason I don't use a magic mouse, it's too low. It causes me wrist pain. Understood. You know, I got a trackpad when I saw some of the first line developer previews because the gesture seemed too cool to use. You know, I, I had a laptop that I connect into my, my standing desktop station, and I missed being able to do the gestures that you can do right on the laptop when I was standing. So I got the Magic Trackpad, and, you know, Apple added tons of multi-touch gestures. But I, what I'm hoping to see in 10.7.1 or soon thereafter is the ability to customize some of the gestures. Right now, you can essentially say, for some gestures, you can say, I want to do it with three fingers, or I want to do it with four fingers. And you can say, I want to have this gesture work, or I want to have it be disabled. But I want to be able to say, I want to take this three-finger gesture and have it trigger this action. And I want this swipe to trigger this action. And right now, there's no such fine-grained gesture control. You know, there's... um, the, the there's a, a gesture for exposing the desktop, and uh, it's it's you take your fingers together and then you you drag them out as if you're flicking all the the windows off your screen. Now notice but, something, ladies and gentlemen. As Lex describes this feature, he's kind of stumbling a little bit. It's not easy to describe. Right, and you know what Apple does, I think, very smartly in system preferences is when you look at that trackpad page, there's videos for each gesture because these are things that are much easier to see somebody else do than to try to describe in words. So that each one is described with a video in that preference panel. But when you try to flick those away, I find that my you know my fat fingers feel a little bit clunky and awkward doing that gesture. I'd love if I could pick a different one and set it. And so I'm optimistic that that Apple will do something like that. And I think there's a little bit of history for it because I've heard that the developer previews of iOS. S5 let uh, folks customize their vibration pattern. So if you want to set a different unique vibration pattern for each person who calls you, for example, you can do that. And to me, this feels very similar to be able to say, I want, I want to. Oh, I'd love to set a vibration pattern for bill collectors. <laughs> I will I say no have more. Some gestures I'd like to use for bill collectors. Well, I can think of some gestures too. I think those gestures should be shown, not felt. <laughs> I think we can say a lot if we just have those gestures. But, you know, this is a family radio show, and we really hate to push the envelope here. Understood. Okay, so gestures, you'd like to be able to customize the gestures, okay? What else in Lion do we need to fix? Well, you know, I think maybe the most controversial change in Lion is the default behavior for scrolling. And it ties in a little bit with gestures, but, you know, two-finger scrolling, everybody who uses a trackpad, who uses a Mac, either knows about it or loves it when they learn it. But you can scroll your document up and down with two fingers. And the default scrolling behavior is flipped on its head in, in Lion. So what used to happen when you move your fingers up was that you moved the document itself up. You know, you got closer to the top of the document as you moved your fingers up. And now when you move your fingers up, you're actually moving the document itself. So when I go up, the document goes up. When I drag down, the document goes down. I think that makes sense. It takes a day or two to get used to, and then you're fine. The problem is the behavior is set system-wide. Uh, unless you're using third-party mouse drivers, if you're using the built-in mouse drivers and you plug in, say, a regular mouse with a scroll wheel, the scroll wheel's direction also now gets reversed. And while it makes sense to me to have this reverse scrolling direction when I'm using a multi-touch gesture with my fingers, it feels very odd if I'm scrolling a scroll wheel down and it's going the opposite direction. For some reason, the, the metaphor works for me with my fingers when it's literally a gesture swiping up and down. It feels weirder when I'm actually scrolling a wheel. Well, the uh, question, of course, is here, Apple is looking for simple <laughs> consistency. Right. It's not consistent to have a device work two different ways. I th- no, I think that's fair. I'm just hoping that they will eventually make it easier and universal that you can configure on a per-device setting what's, what scrolling behavior you expect. Okay, so for example, for my Magic Mouse, it goes up. For my Logitech Mouse, it goes down. Exactly. 
Well, the other question is here. There is some of that with whether or not the scroll bars are visible. Yes. And, uh, you know, so there is some of that. They are seeing what you're saying. I'm seeing that we're talking to Lex Friedman from Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. Devon Think is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at devontechnologies.com. That's devontechnologies.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Question. Can functional magnetic resonance imaging be used to read our minds? Author Jose Calazo answers yes in his two new books, America's New Slavery. For more than 13 years, author Jose Calazo has been trying to prove that the U.S. government has the capacity to read a person's thoughts with a revolutionary technology known as fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, and there is proof that it exists. America's New Slavery explores this technology and its many possible applications in national security. Who has access to it? How is it being used? Does America's salvation rest in this technology? These and many other questions are answered in America's New Slavery. The new books by Jose Calazo. Available on BN.com, Amazon.com, and Borders.com. America's New Slavery. All Americans should be concerned. You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste. 
taste, increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. We're back with Lex Friedman from Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live, and we're talking about the things Apple could possibly improve in OS X Lion. You know, we right mentioned, for example, the gestures, and so the other one being whether you scroll up to move the page up or scroll up to move the page down, whether it will depend on your input device. But the feature where the scroll bars themselves are visible. You have an automatic option, which means it depends on the input device. You have a way to have it on all the time or off all the time, so it's always displayed. I like it always displayed. In that sense, I think they did it right. I agree with you that I think they did it right and that they set the option. I think they got the default wrong. And, I, you know, I've given this a lot of thought because I dislike the instinct whenever there's a new OS or whenever there's a new anything technical, everybody's got to complain. It's not close enough to the old version because we all fear and hate change. But I don't think that Apple was right to say that the default behavior would be to only show scroll bars automatically when it determined it was necessary. I think that's a mistake, and that's the default behavior for using any sort of multi-touch pointer, whether it's the magic mouse or the magic trackpad or a built-in trackpad. I get the absence of the scroll bar on an iPad. An iPad's got a small screen or an iPhone. It's got a very small screen, and devoting even just the few pixels that the scroll bar needs takes away some, some from some precious screen real estate. But with an iPhone, the only way I can interact with it is to touch it. So anytime I'm reading something, my, my thumb's going to be on it over and over again. If it's the iPad, it's the same thing. If I'm going to be reading a longer article, my hand's going to keep touching that screen again and again. That's not the case with my Mac. Sometimes my hands might be on the keyboard, sometimes they're on the trackpad, and sometimes they're not. And I feel like you always need to know how long a document is or how many more files are in a folder. When the, the scroll bar only appears if I start scrolling on my multi-touch device, that's extra work for me to do. It's not saving me. It's actually taking me longer to know how much longer is this document or how many more files are in this folder. If you haven't yet gone into system preferences and clicked on the general tab and checked the or hit the button that says show scroll bars always, I think you should because I think Apple got that default behavior wrong. I think they're trying in that case to be too much like the iOS. They want right. to be similar. They want to be familiar to people. What they've done, I hear, as far as I'm concerned here, is to make it less flexible, less yes. usable, less... Yeah, as a matter of fact, if I look back at the way it's done, the iOS, okay, they're saving a few pixels of screen real estate not to show it unless you need it. You know what? Show it if you need it all the time. Yeah. I don't think that makes so much of a difference. Agreed. And it's, it, it, to me, it's the same as if Apple said that the only way 
to put apps on your Mac was through the Mac App Store. That would be a direct influence from iOS because the only way to put apps on your device right now, you know, true native apps is through the iOS App Store. But Apple, I think, realizes this is a computer and the requirements, the expectations are different. We don't have to make everything exactly the same. I think it's okay that the scroll bars look like the iOS scroll bars. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. But it's it's consistency in terms of not showing them by default. That's consistency for consistency's sake and, and not for the sake of usability. So there you go with Apple. There are some things they have to fix. We have a few minutes left. Any more suggestions on the things that Apple could possibly address for further releases of Lion? We don't have to wait to 10.8, for example. Right. You know, my uh, my friend and colleague at Macworld, Dan Morin, had some concerns about mission control. And the more I use mission control in Lion, the more I like it. You know, it's, it's expose 2011, I guess. And I think it's very clever and it's an interesting way of using your virtual desktops. But some of the challenges that Dan pointed out that I really share are you can't rename your desktops. You know, by default, if you create a new virtual desktop in Mission Control and Lion, it's called Desktop 2, and then the next one is Yes, Desktop but have 3. you noticed that Apple has some online videos that show it being renamed? Yes, I've seen it, but I can't see that I can do it. <laughs> no, we had a discussion on an internet mailing list that's devoted to macOS users about this, and someone asked, how can I change it so I can change the name? And the problem is Apple shows it with names reflecting the application that's in the desktop, but you can't do that. It's a little bit of poetic license that confuses people. I have a problem with spaces, though, which is the same problem I've had with spaces all along. And let me explain. Spaces means that you create a separate desktop for one or more applications. So if you open those applications, only those document windows will show, not the other stuff, okay? makes it easier to work with a lot of applications, especially on a smaller screen, although I use it. Problem is, it forgets its way. Yes. When you say it forgets its way, you mean like they get out of order? I mean that you find that a document window from an application is in one desktop space, and now it's in another. I want something to be shown only in one space, and suddenly it shows up in another space. That's probably a bug, right? It is More a bug. Yeah. It's a bug that appeared in spaces for as long as I can remember. All Apple has done here is maybe change or simplify the mechanism of making spaces. They haven't made it any better. And, you know, there are some apps that I know are just generally sort of bad spaces citizens. For example, Skype, which I'm using right now to talk to you, I found sometimes gets mixed up with spaces and it tries to get me to switch back to the space I don't want unintentionally, things like that. So you're right. I think a great mission control feature would be eliminating that sort of bug. Well, I have the problem with some of the audio editing applications that I use. I also have the problem with iTunes. iTunes loses its way. If you put it in one space, suddenly it's somewhere else. I think there's a sense of fuzzy logic at work here where Apple is trying to automate how the spaces are organized, but then things get flipped over. Right. I know if people don't understand what spaces are, don't worry about it. Okay? (laughs) If you don't understand any of this, don't worry about it. It works when it works. If it doesn't work, don't use it. And, you know, speaking of buggy behavior in Lion, I don't think Apple has fully figured out, and we talked about full screen apps before, but I don't think Apple has fully figured out how to handle full screen apps in in certain specific situations. For example, I've noticed both in Mail and in iTunes, uh, those apps have options to open new windows. So, for example, if I go full screen in iTunes and I right click on a playlist and I say, you can take a playlist and you can say open this playlist in a new window. So if I right click on the playlist and choose that open a new window option, 
it does open in a new window, but it opens in a, a, a regular style window that's visible in my full screen iTunes. Uh, so it's uh, a very rare and unusual and uncommon, even unexpected case of a regular freeform resizable window while you're in full screen mode. It clearly doesn't belong and it, it's very nonsensical and confusing. Uh, and I, I've seen the same sort of thing occur sometimes in mail if you try to open a message in a new window while you're in full screen mode. It's the kind of behavior you would expect, I think, in a, in a 1.0 release, which really is what Lion is for, for all the Lion new features. It's the first iteration of those. The inconsistency uh, drives you crazy. And maybe we can hope as Apple progresses, they will get things together. And, of course, I'm sure Apple rushes to have things out on a certain date and time, and they leave that for the revisions. Lex Friedman, where do we find more of the things that you're writing about? The two places to look for me online are Macworld.com and, of course, LexFriedman.com. Now, LexFriedman.com, is that strictly your Macworld stuff, or do you do stuff on your lonesome? Uh, Lex Friedman is, is stuff on my lonesome. On my blog, most recently, I have a lengthy post about a, a rather unpleasant jury duty experience. And um, you can also find my book, which I wouldn't say is entirely family friendly. So if you want to know about it and you don't worry about family friendly stuff, that's that's another good reason to go to my site. <laughs> the family man himself, Lex Friedman from Macworld. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thank you. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338, utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. 
Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold? IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extracts. Wild chug on birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. And the best way to start this discussion is simply to read the title of one of his commentaries. Patently obvious, the pitiful patent system has to go. And it's almost as bad as Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled patents or something like that. So uh, this week we saw some really outrageous uh, applications of the patent system, uh, both in Europe and elsewhere, and it's just getting out of control. Um, Apple was able to go to court in Germany and have a German judge order a preliminary injunction against Samsung from selling the Galaxy Tab 10.1 tablet um, and basically demand that it be removed from any shelves in Europe except from the Netherlands uh, and that if Samsung were to market or to attempt to sell it in violation of this injunction, Samsung executives could go to jail for two years and pay $300,000 fines per incident. Well, let me just stop for a second here. Go to jail? Are we kidding? I mean, I don't know. Are they going to grab, like, you know, uh, marketing director Kim Titus from Samsung and drag him off in cuffs. Uh, I mean, presumably that's if they violate the court order uh, and show up in Germany and get arrested uh, or show up in the European Union and get arrested, perhaps. Uh, But 
I mean, that's the maximum sentence, and that's only if they violate the order, which I, I don't think that Samsung has any intention of, of violating a court order. So um, you basically this is the penalty for being in contempt. But isn't this a civil it, case? Uh, yeah, but uh, it's very serious. I mean, obviously. Uh, apparently, it, you know, the 10-1, you could already buy it in in England, uh, and they're going to have to pull it off the shelf there. It hadn't uh, gone for sale in most European countries yet, uh, so they're just not going to roll it out to those countries in, until they can, unless they can get this order lifted. But um, it's a it's a serious problem because obviously the basis of the patent is really a very simple design patent that Apple submitted uh, to the German Patent Office that is just a screen with a bezel on the back. That means that anything that looks remotely like a tablet could be, um, could be banned under this ridiculous patent that they received. And, you know, in fact, they have gotten a small German company, I think it's named J-Pro or something like that, uh, to, to basically go out of business or stop selling their tablet before it started. They're going after the Motorola Zoom. There's no reason that they couldn't use this to go after every single tablet on the market. Now, let's look at this here now. As I understand it, Apple hasn't just one patent. They've got a load of patents on different aspects of touchscreen technology. So this is the only one they can produce? Um. This is basically the, you know, everything that they've done is, um, you know, like it's designed to stop the entire competition. I mean, it's, it's kind of unbelievable how, um, how broad this patent is, but it's not the only broad patent out there. We're seeing basically a patent war going on, uh, both in the U S and in Europe and, you're, and you, your listeners, were all the loser. Uh, only lawyers are the winner. Well, if and I was in the business of defending people in patent lawsuits, I'd be rolling in cash right now. But isn't it true also that part of the problem is that the patent laws, especially in the United States, are kind of messed up? There's a new law they're trying to pass in Congress, and if they can pass even approving use of pens in Congress or paper, it'd be a miracle. But supposedly there's bipartisan support for this new patent law. Can you tell us anything about it? Well, you know, there's supposed to be some patent reform, but everything I read suggests that it is... Um, everything I read suggests that it is a uh, really, really, um, you know, weak law that is you know, basically not going to help help the issue at all. I mean, what we're not, what we don't see and what we're not seeing is the move on the legislative end to actually get end these overbroad patents. Um, you know, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks this week, had the suggestion that I endorsed, which is just end it. Just end the system of software patents and business method patents, and I would add to that maybe end all patents. I don't even want to see patent leather anymore. No, uh, no but patent. isn't it also true, though, that the reason you have a patent law is to protect the inventor so they can earn a living and not have everybody exploit that invention? 
without well, going problem, back to them. What about the rights the problem, of the inventor? The problem is that the system was invented, the patent system, which started in 1790 under Thomas Jefferson, uh, just doesn't uh, work when you've got patent examiners who are a bunch of functionaries sitting in an office somewhere trying trying to make billion dollar decisions, uh, you know, in between lunch in between lunch and smoke breaks, uh, you know, who who has the expertise? I would say, you know, I would say almost nobody has the expertise necessary to really decide what's in a what is truly an original idea. That deserves patent protection, and what is pat- and what is patently obvious. So, <laughs> so it's a matter of personnel idea. too. But wouldn't it be proper then, if the government could afford it, to hire experts in different fields and say, "Look, based on your knowledge, do you think this is something that could be patented?" Well, you know, that might make sense. The only problem is, you know, you're asking someone who's an unelected an unelected representative to make decisions about the future of the economy and the industry that I just think there's too much to too much power being put in the hands of a clerk. I mean, that's a lot of power for someone to decide, hey, the very concept of touching an icon should be patented. It's patent protected. Not the code behind it, not the not, you know, the hours of programming that someone did, the idea. For example, the shopping in one click is patented by Amazon. Right. Just As a matter of fact, of just let's, let's kind of expand this because I think our listeners want to know about this. Apple had to pay royalties to get rights from Amazon to use one-click checkout at their online store. Yep. So just the concept, because some flunky at the patent office who probably didn't probably didn't even own a computer um, <laughs> looked at Amazon's patent application and said oh ordering in one click what a great idea I'm going to rubber stamp this and then go for my smoke break um, you know billions of dollars have changed hands and it's important for people to know you've paid for it if you used iTunes in the last 10 years you paid for the for the stupidity and avarice of the patent examiner who did this you paid for it so basically part of the money that I pay when I send my $1.29 to download a song from iTunes maybe a fraction of a penny goes to Amazon as a result correct Oh, just as a result of just executing the concept, just the concept of, of of clicking once to order. Barnes and Noble got around this by making people click extra times. Okay, so I if you click twice, you get past the patent. I suppose at this point, those who might be working for the patent office are going to be upset. Of course, we're equal opportunity offenders over here on the Tech Night Out Live. So if you have experience in the patent office and you want to dispute what Avram Pilch says, feel free to do it. But anyone who has a comment or a question about the Tech Night Out Live, please write us. News at TechNightOwl.com. Once again, that's news at TechNightOwl.com. We are going to make this promise. We will read each and every message we get and respond to most of them. We're talking to Avram Pilch. We only have to click once to hear him. Of Laptop Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins. 
a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bail, and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with pre-pass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without pre-pass waits in line. Save time. Save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try pre-pass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty! Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. Prizekitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to prizekitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. Prizekitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. We're back with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. We're exploring the crazy patent law where, as you say, a government bureaucrat may be able to rubber stamp a decision that will cost someone billions and billions of dollars. But as I pointed out before, we still need to protect people for their inventions. So what kind of patent law should we have? As Mark Cuban uh, pointed out in his really excellent blog post on his blog this week, copyright protection affords affords the inventor or the company plenty of protection right now. If someone is to take the actual execution of something like your source code in software, uh, or you know, to open up and look at your you know chip and try and reproduce that exact exact chip guess what? You can sue them for copyright violation, you know, and you've got a good chance to win. Patents, because copyright is something that is not decided by a government functionary, it's assumed that you have it until you go to court and until you go to court and fight it out. And it's much more specific, right? A copyright could, would cover something like, oh, you actually got my source code and you used it. The actual raw ingredients that make up this user interface or this function that you can copyright because that's possibly computer code, but that also means somebody else can do the same thing, just use different code. Well, you know, it's an interesting debate. Uh, what Cuban said, and, and I'm kind of on the fence, but I think I agree with him, is that ideas are much less valuable than execution. And in this day and age, a lot of the ideas we have are very, it's very hard to trace back an original owner, and they're also quite obvious. So it's kind of wrong to say, hey, if you're sitting at your, if you're an inventor sitting in your house and you, you know, have the idea of how to make a better mousetrap, today you might as well just give up. If you're an inventor and you're sitting in your house somewhere and you have an idea for how to make a better mousetrap, you might as well just give up and go home because there's probably someone who already has a patent on not the exact same idea, but the concept of a better mousetrap or the concept of a mousetrap in general, something that's so overly broad that you might as well just pack up your bags and go home because you could come out and start working on your product and then once you've reached some tiny level of success, a patent troll uh, like Lodesys or Intellectual Ventures or one of those companies in, in Texas that just exists to sue people will sue you out of business and take all your money and hard work. Who are we really protecting here with this patent system? We're creating a protection racket. We're not protecting. The protection racket is there to help large companies that have bought up these portfolios of patents. It's not there to help the inventor. That's an old concept. It's not working. Well, and let's look at more of the impact of what's going on here. Like, for example, Apple and a group of other companies, including Microsoft and Research in Motion, spent billions of dollars to acquire 6,000, 6,000 patents covering mobile technology from Nortel. Now, Google says, gee, we were cut out, but there's this online debate between Microsoft and Google over what really happened. Now, that's almost sounding childish to me. Right. It is childish. I mean, Google came out looking like a hypocrite 
because uh, David Drummond of Google, you know, posted on their blog that you know patent law is broken and all, and you know people are trying to choke the life out of Android by buying these patents that they can use against Android. He's right, but he's his solution is to arm himself with more patents and and fight them in court. So. I'm very pessimistic about the outcome of this because while everybody agrees that the system is broken, all the people who have the power to do something about it, all the companies that have the power to do something about it, all these companies that obviously have money and donate and influence our political system and the political system in the EU, which issues its own set of patents, uh, they're all very heavily invested in continuing to buy more patents. Well, they can afford it. They can afford it. It's like you almost have to look at this. I was comparing in a previous interview with our previous guest what Apple did here is, in a sense, they helped stake these other companies. It's kind of like in the movie Casino Royale, the new version with (laughs) Daniel Craig, where the CIA stakes James Bond to win this poker game. So right now we have this high-stakes poker involving patents that Apple stakes these other companies. But I understand that Google was invited to the party and they said, no, we'll do it ourselves. Yep. So it, so it is a little ridiculous and they also are buying up their own set of patents. So it does seem like, come on, you know, you're, you're crying foul over something that just because you didn't want to spend the money to get in on this. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that they're wrong. Because who's really suffering here? It's not Google. Google will be just fine. Who is going to suffer? It's going to be small businesses that suffer. It's going to be app developers that suffer. And it's going to be consumers and businesses that buy the products that pay this patent tax. And it's the economy that suffers, too. They spent $4.5 billion dollars. To, to purchase the Nortel patents, Apple and Microsoft and RIM and their consortium. Do you know how many people $4.5 billion could employ instead of buying these pieces of paper that they can use as leverage? I mean, they could, they could hire 45,000 developers for a year at $100,000 salary. Who knows what they could do, what, what interesting things they could develop for that money. But, but no, isn't a lot of it defensive, though, too? Because of the way the patent law is, if these companies don't buy up the patents, a LODSYS or another patent troll will acquire them and just sue everybody in sight. That's right. And that's why the patent system just has to end. Because you have a company like LODSYS, for the benefit of your ears, LODSYS is a tiny company, or we think tiny company, in Texas that has bought up some patents uh, on things like in-app payment and things like that, or things they think will apply to in-app payment. In-app and payment really now, means that you're using an application on your mobile device like your Android or your iOS, your iPhone, and you make a purchase within the application, that's what's covered supposedly by Lotus. That's what they have the rights for. Yep, and so they're going out and they are not, it's not enough for them to sue the big, the big pockets at, at Apple they are going to sue the small-time app developers. Uh, so I could be, you know, sitting in my house part-time, you know, developing an app to make a little money, maybe even a free app, and minding my own business, using Apple's developer kit, which Apple has given me, which Apple makes available, tells me I can program apps using these features. And then out of the blue, I get a letter from, I could get a letter from a lawyer saying, 
uh, you know, defend yourself or pay us thousands of dollars. You violated our patent. Whoa, I didn't even know you had a patent. There are thousands of patents out there. Is it my job to go and, and do patent research before everything I program? Well, now, you know, what you're really saying is if I want to be an app developer and I'm putting myself at risk of a lawsuit, I better get out of the business. It, it, I shouldn't get into the business. Now, in this Unless, particular connection, Apple actually has petitioned to be part of this case as a result. And some big software companies are also getting involved, some of the big game companies, for the same reason. Uh, you know, I think that's good, but if I'm an app developer and I have to hire a lawyer, I've already lost. This is what I think a lot of people don't understand, exactly how expensive it is to have legal representation even if you don't lose a case. Even if the case ends up getting thrown out and never goes to court, you've got to pay that lawyer. That's Lawyers right. And it's not an easy thing to compel the loser, the losing side, to pay the legal fees. I know in some cases it can be done if it's a nuisance lawsuit. If they assume it's a nuisance lawsuit, maybe some judges will say, all right, what we're going to do is demand that the plaintiff pay the defendant thus and so for their legal fees. But it doesn't always happen that way. That could be years down the road, and this doesn't, you know, sure. something like a lawsuit from Lotus doesn't really have the feel of a nuisance lawsuit. Like, even if they lose, it couldn't really be said that it was like a slap suit or, or something like that. So, in effect, what what they're doing is they're casting a whole a pall over the development community because it's like, hey, if we can sue an individual small-time app developer for this, anyone who owns a patent can sue any app developer and then where and then what that says to me is if i have if i'm thinking of becoming an app developer uh, maybe i should think again because i can afford to donate my time to it i can afford to spend a little money on training and on apple's uh, you know developer program membership but can i really afford to hire a lawyer to defend me well or, in this case though the lotus patent only covers a specific class of applications most are not impacted we'll get into more of this and the implications in a moment We'd also like to have your comments. Please send them to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Tell us what you think about this crazy patent issue and how it can be fixed. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're definitely in the Tech Night Owl Live. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. 
And now, here's Gene Steinberg. In our final hour of the show, we're talking to Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. And we're focusing on the crazy quilt patent laws that are based on 19th century concepts. In the 21st century, it's become a mess. We have this patent troll, which is basically a company that exists just to sue or collect royalties over patents. They don't build anything. They don't create anything. All they do is say, pay up or we take you to court. Right. So they've gone out and they've acquired all of these patents that probably never should have been granted in the first place. And they and they go out and they try and find people to sue. Now, you said before that the LoadSys lawsuits only apply to in-app payment. But we don't know what other patents are out there that someone could use to sue. There are a lot of broad patents out there. And if you think about it, if you're a developer and someone comes to you and they say, well, you know, we're going to sue you and we're suing you for hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands, or you can pay me out, you know, a few thousand now to go away, you know, you're probably going to pay them a few thousand to go away. And so what happens is it's like a protection racket from the mafia. They come by your, they come by your place of business and they say, look, you know, pay us up or we'll trash the store. Well, it's cheaper to pay than to have your store trash, and that is what they're doing. La Cosa Nostra has nothing on loads this. Um, now, in the same so, connection, let's remind everybody something we talked about just a few weeks ago. For every Android phone sold by some companies such as HTC, they are paying Microsoft a few dollars for each handset. That's kind of a ransom, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that, too. HTC has made the same protection racket bargain with Microsoft right now. They said, look, we don't, and HTC is a big company. They just spent $300 million to invest in Beats Audio. They probably could have invested that in lawyers to fight Microsoft uh, over this Android patent, and we don't know whether they would have won, but they made the, they made the business decision not to pay the lawyers perhaps because they also want to maintain a good relationship with Microsoft. After all, HTC makes Windows Phone 7 phones. Uh, so Microsoft, by all estimations, is making more money off of Android than it is off of Windows Phone 7 because Microsoft has some patents that they claim apply to Android. I'm not sure exactly what those patents are, but it's probably for some overly broad things like having icons on the screen. or, or I mean, the, I understand there's a patent if I move my finger. So if I move my finger at the wrong way, pointed to certain patrolling companies in a way that we can't describe on the radio because this is a family show, somebody owns the patent for that particular activity, right? <laughs> if they filed the paperwork and they got someone who was, and they got a, uh, and a patent examiner who was sufficiently stupid or lazy, then I'm sure it was rubber stamped. This is exactly the problem. These are billion-dollar, industry-changing, life-changing decisions. And, it's, and what people need to understand is it does affect you, period. It doesn't, it's not just for the executives at Apple and for the executives at Google. They'll be fine. You know, it's, it's for you. That $15 that HTC pays Microsoft, if you want an HTC phone, you paid for it, not HTC. And it won't so, be fifteen dollars. They'll find a way to charge you twenty-five. They'll mark it up. Yeah, no, no question about it. Somehow that is built into built into the cost. And then there's the opportunity cost. 
Sure, you know, you've got a handful of companies making Android phones today. They'll continue to, and some of them will undoubtedly, if not all of them, end up paying these licensing fees to other companies. And it's not just Microsoft who's coming with their handout. I know Apple would like to, you know, have their handout for these licensing fees. My my prediction um, of what's going to happen with the Samsung Galaxy Tab is that uh, even though Apple could pursue this and try and just block Samsung out of the market. I think more likely the two sides will come to some agreement where Samsung pays Apple some money to go away, uh, pays them a licensing fee on every Galaxy tab and passes it along to the customer. Um, so ultimately there's going to be a lot of companies with their handout and it's going to raise the price of what you buy and it's going to force smaller companies that might try to innovate out of the market to the point where, you know, it's only a handful of big companies doing this. Well, that limits your choice as a consumer. It limits the choice of businesses that are buying a lot of these for the enterprise. Those costs get passed along to people somewhere. And there's an opportunity cost for people being employed. All the money that's wasted on these ridiculous patents and on fighting them is not going to employ people who make and do things. It's counterproductive. It's counter-inventor. It's counterproductive. It's not helping inventors. It's not performing the function for which the patent system was invented. Well, what might probably happen here is, at best, we'll see the patent laws revived and revisions will be happening, but it doesn't look as if that's going to necessarily help anything. It's not going to make it any better. It's going to be complicated. And this is so totally new, you know. I mean, we didn't think just a few years ago when we'd look at products and consider which to consider, that we'd have all these patent lawsuits. They've reached the fever pitch. I mean, the biggest patent lawsuit of a few years ago was, of course, TiVo against Dish Network, because Dish Network, and I don't know if that's an overly broad patent. I don't know if our listeners remember this lawsuit, which was recently settled by paying TiVo lots and lots of money, like over $600 million in royalties. It involves being able to tape or record one show while watching another. That is... What an original idea. I, I mean, mean, really. Who could have thunk? Who could have thunk it? But who? supposedly TiVo invented that technique. Think about it, folks. You have your little DVR from your cable or satellite provider. You tape, record, whatever it is. It's on a hard drive. One show while watching another show. TiVo invented that. It's their invention. There you go. I think TiVo is going to send me a bill now for mentioning this. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, it's like, if you have an idea today, and it, chances are someone else prob probably had that idea. And maybe the reason why you both came up with that idea independently is because it's, an, it's not that complicated to imagine if you're watching TV and you had a VCR back in the 80s or 70s, gee, I'd like to record two things at once. And if that's the idea that's patented, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Go to back. be fair, supposedly this patent covers a specific technique of recording one thing and watching another thing. It's not every technique. It's a specific technique, but even then it might be overly broad. That, that's the thing. It's that you're patenting ideas that someone could come up with. I mean, this Apple patent or the, or the one-click ordering patent, I mean, who probably didn't go to a website in 1999 when this patent was 
being granted and think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could only click one time to buy? I mean, that's not an that's not an idea that it takes a rocket scientist to think up. I mean, you could stick a monkey in a room with a typewriter, and they'd probably come up with that idea in a weekend, let alone let alone a few years. And you won't even need the monkeys from Rise of the Planet of the Apes either. We're just talking about <laughs> plain monkeys, not those who are genetically enhanced. Correct. I mean, it's it's just it's just crazy that these are the ideas that come through, but. You have someone sitting around the patent office who's probably got the tech savvy, less tech savvy than my mother, and they're sitting there and like, oh, two, record two things at once, touch a screen and move things around. Wow, what are we really living in the 21st century now? I gotta put a rubber stamp on this. I mean, I don't think that kind of logical process actually happens. I think it's it's much more obscure, but very likely they have so much work to get out. And they just rush it through. Right. I think that's part of the problem. And even now, there are hundreds of thousands of patents behind, I suspect. Right. It's it's just a crazy system. That's why the system has to go, because it provides provides a great deal of uncertainty for other businesses. Other businesses can't say, hey, I can really start up my business now, because... Your business could be, your leg could be cut out. You, you know, you want to start a startup today? Your legs could be cut out from under you by a patent lawsuit when you least expect it. Uh, and it is not even, even if you were to do your homework and to try and figure out, hey, you know, I don't think I'm violating anyone's patents. Well, that's a matter of opinion. And, <laughs> and we'll get to more opinions about the world of patents and lots of other stuff with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. We're on the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockoids. A novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never
see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extract. Wild chagan birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com We return with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com and we're focusing right now on the patent law and all the confusing aspects of it. The fact that companies with deep pockets can basically get a monopoly. We talk about monopoly approach. If you get a monopoly on all the patents covering a specific technology, what's going to happen? Whether you like Apple or not, a couple of times this past week, they rose to being the most valuable company on the planet, ahead of ExxonMobil, a company building smartphones, tablets, personal computers, more than the world's largest oil company. Does that make sense either? Well, you know, oil is volatile. Apple Apple seems to have a great track record of success. But the question is, does their success come from patents or does it come from execute from the ideas or does it come from the execution? And well, right now it comes from the execution. I don't think we've seen a situation yet where Apple has in the past 
been a situation where they've enforced patents beyond the normal back and forth on a very low level. This hasn't reached the fever pitch until very recently. But you, you take the situation, I mean, most people who are in the industry, including myself, consider the Galaxy Tab 10.1 to probably be the leading competitor to the iPad. It is probably, it has a long battery life, it's nice and thin, it's probably the best alternative to the iPad out there. And yet, its sales numbers were really weak in comparison to the iPad. It's not, no one feels that the iPad is in serious danger of being knocked off by the Galaxy Tab 10.1. Why? Because Apple's executed so well on building an ecosystem of great apps, of marketing their product well, of using premium designs and, and good programming. It's execution. It's not just the idea of having a tablet that is putting Apple on top. But you have to think maybe the memory of the lawsuit against Microsoft over the look and feel of the Mac OS back in the 80s and 90s. And eventually, of course, they did a cross-licensing deal between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates to get that resolved. And maybe that sits in the back of their mind, you know, their collective I mean, mind over at Apple that, you know, we can't let anybody imitate our products. We're going to be aggressive about it. But as you say, they're taking advantage of a law that has problems. Where do you go from here? And this is another situation in terms of Google right now. Basically, Samsung, HTC, Motorola, they are proxies for Google here because they're using Google's technology. I wonder, why isn't Apple going after Google? I mean, Oracle's going after Google over the Java technology, so why not Apple go after Google? You know, they're trying to call the weak from the herd. I think, you know, they're obviously, they have an interest in stopping Google, too, but if they cut off Google's arms, Google can't, can't act. So if they block other tablets from reaching the market, Google is blocked. If they, if they uh, you know, force HTC, well, that's Microsoft doing it, but... Apple would also probably like to get licensing fees out of people. I, my supposition is that is what will ultimately happen in the Samsung case, is that they'll settle and that Samsung will agree to pay Apple a licensing fee, and then you'll end up paying it. I mean, I'm sure Apple would really like to just kill the competition, but I, I bet you cooler heads will prevail and they will, they will settle on a licensing fee. But you have to look at it this way. If these companies find they're paying more and more money for licensing fees, they might say, you know what, rather than pay Apple something, let's just go to Microsoft, use their operating system, pay them a check every month and be done with it. Maybe it'll be cheaper. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a reasonable possibility. I think that's why Google is so upset about these, kind of, about these licensing fees that people are paying for Android because they're making the operating system itself look less appealing. It's a real problem for Google. There's no question about it, and that's why they spoke out about it. But, you know, I, I don't have a lot of confidence uh, that just by their speaking out, they're going to solve it. And, you know, you can't really blame them for, you know, for, aren't, for loading up on their own patents. They don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight. But at the same time, you know, we're in a basically a patent war right now between these companies. And the only real casualties... The only real ca the real casualties are the users, uh, not the, not these companies. They'll be fine. Samsung will be just fine. But the people who want to buy Galaxy Tabs, the people, the developers who want to maybe get a job and work for Samsung, whose salaries are being spent on lawsuits instead, those are the people who are suffering. You're a lawyer. You're making loads of money. 
Yeah, I don't think that's the kind of economic stimulus most people would would want right now. What's happening here, too, is that people who push money seem to make out better than anybody else. If you're a money pusher on Wall Street, you know, you make money. If you're pushing paper in a courtroom, you make money. Yep. But, you know, ultimately, it's not, you know, obviously, there's, you know, the smaller side of the economy, too. You know, I think we talked recently about some of the small tablet companies that are going out of business now. You see people like Villev, which was a really great uh, Korean company that made some really premium design tablets and mobile Internet devices going out of business. Now, I, I have to imagine. point out one thing, too. I saw a picture. If this is the company that... Is this the company that had a seven-inch tablet in Germany? Uh, no, that was, an, I think, another company. I think that was uh, J-Pro or something okay, like that. Okay, because that product looked very much like a real imitation iPad in almost every respect externally. So maybe they deserved it. But the thing you also have to say is, all right, isn't there another way to build a tablet with an operating system that doesn't have the basic look and feel of an iPhone or an iPad? I mean, there's only so many ways to make a tablet look externally, and this patent was really based on the external look. Uh, the one that they won the injunction based on was based on the external look, which was basically a box with a touchscreen at the top, sides, and the back. Um, but I, I would argue that Android isn't so isn't you know a copy of iOS. Yes, it's a mobile operating system, and there are certain basic functions that you have to have to have a mobile operating system. You have to have icons on a screen. You have to be able to touch them to launch applications. You have to be able to use multiple gestures at the same time with multiple fingers. I mean, that's those things are kind of those things come from Star Trek. They don't come from Steve Jobs. Should they go back and sue Paramount next? Uh, they, you never know Star because Trek they franchise. were using tablet computers on the bridge of the next generation version of the Enterprise. Okay, so maybe you know maybe all the people who work for Paramount at that time on that particular show should be going out there. Patrick Stewart should go out there and say, "Engage a check." <laughs> I mean, a lot of the ideas that we have today come from science fiction. Are we now going to say that you know if you have a science fiction idea, you can patent it? Great, I have the idea for a spaceship that can go to to Mars. Okay, you know what, I'll get into this in a moment because you just raised an interesting possibility. Abram Pilch joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 9976. Call 800 880 9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today Don't let summer be a bummer. Stop sunburn pain, poison ivy, and mosquito bite itch, and the burn of athlete's foot with just one safe-all-natural first aid product, Dermatol. Many GCN listeners have already discovered how effective Dermatol is as a natural, non-acidic way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many skin problems. Now this special offer. Buy one bottle of Dermatol. Get one bottle free. Call 1-800-217-6677 and mention GCN. Dermatol is the must-have first First aid product for your preparedness kit. Made in America by Americans, Dermatol's soothing, rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed. Call 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. And ask for the GCN Buy One, Get One Free Special or use coupon code GCN at checkout at DermatolUSA.com. Spelled D-E-R-M-A-T-O-L-U-S-A.com. Efficient, economical, effective. Spray it all with Dermatol. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. 
the issue on the table, patent laws and, shall we say, the excesses that we're seeing now with Apple and Google and Microsoft and all these other companies with Avram Pilch at Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Now, my son and I have written three novels, three science fiction novels. And the other day we were looking over some of the things that we envisioned that came to pass, like the quantum entanglement, which was a known quantity, but we didn't know it when we were creating this situation where two beings communicate with each other wherever they are across the galaxy. So, you know, I guess we should look at these three novels of 100,000 words apiece and decide, hey, we can collect royalties from someone because we invented these things. Let's go patent them now. No, we can't produce a working sample. Hmm. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. Because, and that's why I say I think people really have to think about how it, the value of treating ideas with exclusivity when it's so easy for people in different locations at the same time or different times without knowledge of each other to come up with the same idea. It's, it's not that difficult. So whoever it is that is working on that technology in real life may not have read your novel or they may have. Well, here's the other thing, too, to bear in mind, that the new patent law, it's going to change first to invent to first to file, which means if you think you got the idea, you better get that patent attorney and you better file it. But there will also be, I understand, a nine-month period after a patent is granted where you will have first rights to dispute the patent. Am I interpreting this right? I think your interpretation is correct, but you're creating work for lawyers. Because if you're going to dispute the patent, well, then you've got to file a dispute. You, the burden is on you. You've got to prove that this patent is no good. So someone's got to go around and, and find these things and dispute them. And it also doesn't do much to solve the problem of all these existing bad patents that are out there today for things like one-click ordering. I mean, one thing I did read, and I, I will give some credit to Neelay Patel of... Uh, this is my next, who wrote an article about how when people put something into a patent, they're also putting an expiration date on it. So I believe it's something like 18 years um, right now where, you know, those patents will expire and then they loads can't sue you. But that's great. Uh, you know, but if you're waiting that many years, you're so many years behind the ball, it doesn't even matter. Like if I have to wait, you know, 18 years to develop an iPad app that, that works on a you know, 2011 iPad, what good is that? Of course, you might have a little club that is like the old Studebaker clubs. You know, how many years was it that Studebaker went out of business 40-some-odd years ago? Well, okay, fine. There are people who restore old Studebakers. So we'll have a company or a club that restores old iPads and iPhones and Galaxy tabs. (laughs) <laughs> well, it could be like, uh, which, which, is, which is interesting, speaking of old stuff, uh, obviously uh, your readers, prob- your listeners probably know that this week uh, was the 30th anniversary of the original IBM PC coming out and the era that that ushered in that we're, that we're still living in. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are still, uh, still big fans of their PCs, but uh, I don't think there are too many people who are using a 1981 IBM PC today. Yeah, I don't think so. There are a few out there. You know, some are still using 1984 Macs. You know, I'm, I, I will I will make this admission publicly. I'm still using an IBM keyboard on my computer. I'm still I'm the computer is new, but the keyboard is about 50, it's a, what the last generation of IBM Model M keyboards. 
Well, you know, there is a company out there called Unicomp that basically remanufactured what is basically the original IBM PC-style keyboards. And on more on the Mac side, though, it works on a PC. There's a company called Matthias out of Canada that has something called the Tactile Pro, and it has that same kind of mechanical, solid switch that lasts forever on a keyboard. Yeah, I've heard of Unicomp. My problem is that my keyboard's never going to break, so I don't need to uh, replace it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there are certain things where we have not made progress in the last, uh, you know, a couple of decades, and one of them, I would argue, is keyboard technology, where it's gotten cheaper and and, and worse and crappier, uh, rather than having the this, this spring technology and, and the kind of solidity that you had back in back in the day because, unfortunately, a lot of companies cut corners that way. You know, but, you can get a um, keyboard today for, what, $5? These membrane keyboards. And the problem also, I mean, the one thing that's nice about them is the best of the keyboards are nearly silent, right? Right now I am typing on an Apple aluminum keyboard, okay? And you can't even hear me typing, I bet. But I bet I if you typed on your keyboard, I'd it hear drives it. My wife right. It drives my wife crazy. I can't bring my keyboard to work here because my coworkers have voted against it. I have <laughs> about it. Uh, At home, you can't you know, use it because your wife says, Avram, shut the up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you, I like the white noise. I, I wish my keyboard were louder. I wish it was like a jackhammer because when, cause when I, I can type 15 words a minute faster on that thing because of the tactile feedback. I think people, I think people today are, are interested in, in quiet. But if you really love your computer, as as I do, you want to know that it's there. I don't think my computer should be, you know, seen and not heard. I like my my fan noise and my my keyboard noise. It reminds me that I'm using a powerful machine. It's like my Harley that I'm revving at the stoplight for everybody. That's my keyboard. Okay, so you have a Harley too. No, not, not in New York, but my keyboard, my keyboard is as loud as one. Okay, so your keyboard is your Harley. Avram's Harley is a keyboard. We'll see him riding his keyboard, which will be smoking out of the rear. It's going to be pretty crazy-looking kind of thing. I can just visualize this right now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is radio, the theater of the mind. I want you to visualize Avram Pilch, and his picture is online, and you picture one of these classic IBM-style Unicomp or the Matthias Tactile Pro keyboard, and now imagine him riding one through the sunset. Yeah, I guess you could say I'm part of the Outlaw Typist Club. Is that what it is? This is one of the most unusual discussions we've had here. Let's drop the patents because we'll never get a resolution, I don't think, in our lifetimes, although it may reach kind of a summit if these lawsuits continue. Looking over the mobile space, what's the coolest stuff that's out there now? Let's do a little product review for the remaining few minutes. Well, uh, we just at Laptop uh, posted our review of the Acer Iconia Tab A100, which is a 7-inch Android tablet, and the first 7-incher to run Honeycomb. Uh, And that's pretty... That's pretty cool. Unfortunately, the battery life is a little short, but it is a first because it's the first tablet of that size to have the full honeycomb experience. I think that's I think that's been a nice step forward. 
we're looking forward to at the end of the month uh, checking out Lenovo's ThinkPad tablet uh, that is going to you know, be one of the first tablets to have pen input and have really good handwriting recognition because I did get an early sneak peek and the handwriting recognition on it was awesome. And of course, September timeframe, uh, there's a lot of big news floating around about Intel's Ultrabook um, initiative, which for your which for your listeners is their effort to really push notebooks into thinner and lighter territory. This is kind of the MacBook Air kind of territory. Okay. No question. Absolutely. Now, I want to ask you about a couple of stories I read about that. That one of the issues Intel was having to produce this was to find ways in developing this platform to keep the prices low because companies who want to build those ultrabooks are having trouble meeting Apple's prices at a time, of course, you know, we used to think that the Macs were higher priced than the Windows computers, and to a large extent they are because the Windows PCs play in a lower price category. But this really tiny, thin notebook, Apple's doing pretty good with. We'll talk about that in a moment. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, who is flying his keyboard as we speak. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Devon Think is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off, all there at devontechnologies.com. That's devontechnologies.com. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use escapeharassment.com. 
Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, 1-877-457-9009. That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. You can't argue with success. And many people have found great success in fighting back colds and flu viruses with Ali C, the world's best garlic extract. So now, it's time to get even more success with the other great quality natural products from Affinity Health Products. Like C Energy Liquid Vitamins, Lose and Snooze, and the One Day Diet. Or Human Growth Hormone Support, Menopause Specialist for Women, and Joint Specialist. See these and many other quality Affinity Health Products for men and women online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y HealthProducts.com. Or call in your orders at 877-888-7126. That's 1-877-888-7126. Trust your health to the makers of Alley C, the world's best garlic extract. Affinity Health Products, the finest and most innovative natural health products available. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN Great Talk Radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, the old-fashioned keyboard fan. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live. I switch back and forth, by the way. I have the Apple Aluminum Keyboard now, but I have the Matthias Tactile Pro. Every so often, I switch back and forth as it occurs to me. So, okay, the Ultrabook, the key here was also to find ways to build these ultra-miniature, full-featured notebooks and keep the prices down. Apple's done pretty good with the MacBook Air. They've done pretty well considering the premium components that they use. When you look at Apple's cheapest MacBook now, which is the 11-inch Air, and that starts at 9.99, but for that price, you get a solid-state disk in there, or at least solid-state memory, that allows the system to boot in 15 seconds, which is ridiculous. Um, and uh, the way there is a lawsuit out there from a company that's saying that process, the speedy boot, violates their patent. But let's just go on. <laughs> You see, more fuel for the fire, right? Um, I think the PC people who are making these lower-priced uh, Ultrabooks, such as Asus and uh, and Acer, are going to are going to look to cut corners that Apple didn't cut. They're going to give you a hard drive, not an SSD. They're you know the processor might not be as powerful. They're probably going to use for the lower end ones are probably going to be cheap plastic rather than you know the really great metal design of the MacBook Air. 
Uh, I don't think on the 13-inchers you'll see the kind of really nice screen that you get on the MacBook Air 13-inch, which is has a really great 1440 by 900 screen. So, so I think, and I think initially the battery life, while it's something that's important, I think they may skimp. We don't know yet for sure, but I think they may skimp on the battery. So I think that initially they are going to cut corners that Apple didn't cut um, to try and get the price down. And I would never count Acer out from being able to make things cheaply because for some reason Acer is able to make things more cheaply than just about any company on the market. So, you know, whether it's the build materials or what they pay for labor, I'm not sure, but Acer is always the one who's kind of pushing prices down. So I would bet that when they come out with their Ultrabook, it's going to be, you know, the cheapest thing that you can get. Let me ask you a question here. I don't know if you've heard this rumor. There was a story out this week suggesting that Apple was demanding of Intel that they lower the power utilization of their chips, otherwise Apple might start looking elsewhere. Hmm. I I haven't heard that rumor, but it doesn't surprise me at all. There's a big movement right now toward um, toward using ARM-based chips in PCs. It hasn't really happened yet. But um, people may recall the smart the smartbook fad that never happened uh, back in 2010, where their companies led by Qualcomm were saying the next big thing was going to be, you know, Linux-based uh, netbooks running on ARM chips, not on Intel chips, and getting much longer battery life. Well, we know that Intel x86 chips, while powerful, are not the not the bat- not the best of battery life. They use more power than ARM chips like the NVIDIA Tegra 2 or Qualcomm Snapdragon uh, or TI OMAP. So what a lot of people are expecting, especially with Windows 8 around the corner, is that we're going to actually start to see mainstream PC notebooks, not just tablets, not just phones, using ARM-based processors like the NVIDIA Tegra 2 or, or the Tegra 3 that's probably coming out later this year, Um, because Windows 8 is going to support ARM processors. So no longer will you have the kind of Hobbs Hobbs choice between, well, do you you get uh, a tablet or something with running Android or another Linux OS because you want these low-power processors, or do you get Windows and get an Intel processor? You won't have to make that choice anymore. You'll be able to run Windows, full Windows 8, on on an ARM processor, and probably that will use a lot less power. What so about I, the trade-off yeah, in terms of performance? Can an ARM processor become near as powerful as the even the mainstream Intel chips? They're not now. You know, I think they can. Uh, now, we had someone here from Intel the other day, and we were asking them that question, and they said their answer to it was, that ARM processors could become as powerful, but then they would use as much electricity to do it, uh, and that's the trade-off. So it's obviously kind of a, you know, he said, he said right now, and we'll have to see what the power consumption is like. I think Intel, on the, on the other hand, is making a lot of progress in lowering their power envelope. Uh, they believe that they are getting a lot more power efficient. Um, so I think... We're working both ends of the spectrum here, where you see that device, you see that 
things like the NVIDIA Tegra are going up in terms of performance. Uh, as, as you probably know, NVIDIA demonstrated a quad-core uh, Tegra processor in February, and they plan to come out with it probably by the end of this year. Um, and at the same time, Intel keeps talking about its Ivy Bridge processors, which are only 22 nanometers and therefore are going to use a lot less power to, to give you more performance. So I think you, one is coming sort of down in power consumption and the other is coming up in performance. And we'll see. Uh, my bet is that they ultimately meet in the middle. Okay, let me ask you a fast question here. What about that other contender in the processor race, AMD? How are they doing? Uh, <laughs> Sorry I asked. Uh, poor AMD. I feel bad for them a bit. I mean, they are doing some cool things, actually, uh, but they're, they have a tough nut to crack. Um, so this year, AMD came out with its Fusion processor, which is really a better netbook processor or really low-power processor than Intel's Atom in some ways because it provides better graphics. And we've seen it on a number of notebooks, including the HP DM1Z, which is really nice, uh, inexpensive uh, 11-inch notebook. Or, um, you know, we've seen it on a, some MSI notebooks. We've seen it on, on a uh, Lenovo ThinkPad X120. Uh, that's a nice little processor. And uh, this past week, uh, we also saw that AMD... Uh, got its first processor into a tablet when MSI announced uh, its WindPad uh, 110 uh, was coming out, which is a Windows tablet that runs with an AMD processor. So they're making some strides, um, but we haven't seen any real answer from AMD yet on how they're going to get into mobile, into mobile in a big way. They're going to get how they're going to run operating systems like Android or iOS. Um, so, and we, so I, I think they still have a long ways to go. And the other thing that we're really not seeing from AMD is, is a, what I would consider a serious effort to be the performance leader. Like it used to be back when I was building computers in college or whatever, there was a serious debate about, well, is AMD more powerful than Intel? Now, if you want the most power, you typically go with, with Intel, and AMD tends to sort of bring up the, the, budget, the budget systems in the rear. And uh, that's kind of sad. Hmm. You hate to see less competition when you really want more. And where that's going to lead, who knows? Of course, maybe if you don't have as much power and you're focusing on power efficiency in the sense of using less electricity and battery life being longer, maybe you'll focus on building apps and operating systems with less bloat. But that's not going to happen. I remember an article I read in Byte magazine, what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, about applications becoming too bloated? Oh, they don't know. Avram Pilch, where do we find more of the stuff you do? Well, you can find me on my weekly column, The Geek's Geek, on Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com slash geeksgeek. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Geek in Chief. And, of course, uh, you can check out all of our reviews and all of our news and insights at uh, LaptopMag.com. And a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, you can find more of our stuff on Twitter. We are Tech Night Owl at Tech Night Owl at Twitter to find us there. My daily commentaries are at TechNightOwl.com, obviously. TechNightOwl.com. Also, we have a forum, forum.TechNightOwl.com. And there's that other radio show about UFOs, things that go bump in the night, and this weekend, the frontiers of physics <laughs> on the Paracast at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. 
And on the Tech Night Out Live this week, thanks to Avram Pilch for another great session. Thank you. Always a pleasure. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.